0: Thanks for downloading the 35th in our series of episodes of the C-Suite podcast that we're recording in partnership with the European PR agency, Taito, and their own Without Borders podcast, where we are interviewing leaders of unicorn companies to find out about the key issues, pain points, and challenges that startups face, and how they can address them with a strategic approach to marketing and communications. My name is Russell Goldsmith, and my co-host for this episode is Taito's senior partner, Holly Justice. And today we're thrilled to be joined online from Atlanta by Scott Voigt, the founder and CEO of digital experience intelligence platform, Full Story. Founded in 2014, the company achieved unicorn status in August 2021 after a 103 million Series D funding round with a valuation of $1.8 billion, but has since raised a further $25 million, taking the total funding to date to $171 million. Welcome to the show, Scott. Can we start by you giving us a bit of background to your company and also just talk us through the area of business that you are seeking to disrupt?
1: Sure. Well, first, thanks for having me. Full story, we would call it a digital experience intelligence company. Well, what is that? Look, I hope everybody that is listening navigates the web, uses mobile apps all the time. And I'm sure that you'll find that those experiences are often imperfect. You get confused, you can't complete some sort of transaction. Full Story is a very novel piece of technology that sits on the client, whether it's a browser or a native device, and it helps the owners of those properties understand exactly when, where, why, They're giving a suboptimal digital experience. And through data and tools and workflows, we're able to pinpoint those problems, quantify them for the site owners, and then help them route in a workflow ways to quickly fix them. And if you can do that, you can help them make more money by improving conversion rates or driving better engagement with, say, a SaaS product. You can lower your cost to support a product by faster ticket times and lower engineering costs when you're trying to debug things. And of course, if you're building a site, you can just build things quicker and more confidently, which ultimately does what we care about most, perfecting the digital experience because there are just too many core experiences out there.
2: Thanks, Scott. And, and could you tell us a little bit about your personal professional journey and how you came to found FullStory?
1: Actually, I have been in SaaS, give or take, since about 1997. We didn't call it SaaS back then. We called it Service Bureau Software. But I've been part of early-stage technology companies in a business-to-business capacity for a long, long time you know i would say the full story story picked up around 2004 when i was down at georgia tech working on a startup and i met my two eventual co-founders bruce and joel and uh, in a twist of good luck the three of us started working together and then google came in and acquired the three of us bruce and joel went on to basically found lead build out google's engineering presence in atlanta i went on to do some work at another SaaS company here in town the whole time we wanted to get the band back together and so we finally got the courage say in six seven years after we had sold that company to google to quit our day jobs really to pursue this idea of perfecting digital experience by developing a very innovative piece of technology that didn't exist before
0: I mentioned in my intro you reached unicorn status in 2021 so that's seven years after after launch there was a big number that I talked about there you know 171 million dollars what we're keen to understand is kind of where that money has been and also will be invested you know and what the focus is I guess for the rest of 2023 but also you know for the future for for full story.
1: Well, we've done this over a number of different rounds. And I will tell you the bulk of where our investments go are back into the product, because that's really why customers would wanna work for Full Story. We're not a services company, we're a software as a service company. So we find the, the smartest product managers, engineers, product designers to create something that's magical that will help our customers help their visitors. Of course, along the way, you have, to, you have to pay the bills to build great software. So we invest heavily in sales and marketing. And I would tell you, maybe in the later chapters of Full Story, we really started to lean into the sales motion, moving up into the enterprise. And that's, a, that's sort of a, a big investment of ours is serving big, big companies with very complex problems. You know, Of course, we are a global company at this point. We've got 3,300 paying customers across the globe. So we've started to invest internationally. We have a, a strong presence in Europe, recently expanded into Germany. We opened a Singapore office not too long ago and have a strong presence in Australia.
2: And just coming onto the topic of leadership for a minute, Scott, I imagine leading a successful company in all of those corners of the globe that, that you've just described requires exceptional skills as, as, as the CEO but you must have also have built quite an exceptional team what would you say are your personal greatest strengths and then what are the the, the main strengths of the rest of the full story management team're
1: weary of anybody that tells you that they know their own strengths um, so I'll, I'll pair it what other people have told me my my strengths are and it really is communicating it, it trying to communicate complex, ideas in simple ways to bring people along in the journey. I would tell you, you know, if there's another strength I have, it's using that communication skill to hire people that are much smarter and much more skilled than I am to come and work at full story. Sometimes it's, it's better to be lucky than good. And I'm, I'm pretty lucky in the way that we've been able to bring a team aboard. As far as the attributes of the the team members that we have, one of the the areas that we've always tried to focus on is making sure that the leader of an organization is a master of their craft. They're not just a general manager that has never spiked in anything. If you're an engineering leader, you still like to lay a line of code or two just to stay close to the art of doing that. If you're a salesperson, you love to go on sales calls because it's, it's where the... The rubber hits the road on hearing the story out there. And so and I think that leaning on people that have been craftspeople and continue to want to be has been a pretty good benefit to us.
2: And you said there that, that people have told you you're a, a good communicator. Would would you say that you've always been a natural communicator or is it a skill that you've had to learn along the way? I
1: feel like you're trying to tell me, Holly, I'm not a great
2: communicator. <laughs> no, sorry. I'm not,
1: totally going um my mother would say that i have always loved to talk the gift of gab has come natural to me you know so i've always been quite comfortable standing in front of a room saying silly things hoping that they land sometimes they do sometimes they don't where i've struggled quite honestly is with the written word so for a long time i was i was very hesitant to put words on paper and so i think i probably would lean into to verbal commu- communication At some point, I decided I wanted to go back to a business school university here in the States. And it turns out in order to get in, you had to learn how to write. There's a very good book, by the way, to the people that are uncomfortable writing called Grammar Smart. And I think one of my fears of writing was always, I didn't really understand all the mechanics. Where are you supposed to put a comma in this book? Very short book. Cleared all of that up for me.
2: And would you say there is an individual or, or multiple individuals that have had the big impact on your development as a leader? And if so, who are they and why?
1: Well, I mean, it's the most cliche answer, of course, but my mother and my father, Nick and Starvoit, in their own ways, really did help shape me. My mother was always pushing me to stand in front of a room. And so getting me in roles of leadership was something that she was constantly encouraging me to do. My My father was a corporate man at Hewlett-Packard for thirty two years. So it was not uncommon to sit around the dinner table and hear him talk about a challenge he had faced at work that day. You know, he had to hire somebody, he had to fire somebody. He was always grouchy when he had to write reviews or when, an escalation occurred. I learned very early in life that an escalation meant a, ba- a customer was unhappy and dad was going to be grouchy at the dinner table. But if you grow up in an environment with leadership and business principles, I, I think that has helped imprint on me uh, a lot of those ideals as uh, I've matured into the business world.
0: Scott, a key focus of these discussions with, with all the leaders, uh, unicorn leaders that, that we've spoken to is around communication and culture. So firstly, when the company became a unicorn, did that change the perception in any way?
1: Well, I really tried to make sure that it did not. I mean, let's be honest, guys. A, a unicorn is its an arbitrary kind of a hurdle, if you will. And it's also constantly in flux. And so my standard comment to the company every time we raised a round of funding was, This is a round of funding. Nobody gives you a high five in the world when you refinance your house. That's just a financing event. And so it is with full story. It is a nice mile marker to say somebody out there says we've done some good stuff and they put a number on it. But let's not pay attention to that number because it will go up and it will go down. And what we have to focus on is building a wonderful product and delivering fantastic value and improving digital experience for our customers keep your eye on the ball again. Did that change the culture? I hope not. I mean, our culture has always, the the words we say, the rituals we practice, the artifacts that we celebrate, those have maintained quite consistent throughout the life of the company. I would imagine, because part of your culture is the people that come into the organization, when you start to attain these higher valuations or you mature as a company, different people are attracted to your company, when you're a bigger company than when you're 20 people trying to figure things out. And so those new people that are around the table, we screen very heavily through the interview process to make sure that they're going to meet those attributes that we care about as it pertains to the culture. And they're pretty simple. We call them watchwords, not value statements. And, and they are empathy. We think it's it's an undervalued element in the world today is like, if I can think about what Holly's thinking about right now, and she's thinking, gosh, Scott's talking too much, like that's a superpower. We talk about clarity and you won't have debates and disagreements. If you can make sure everybody's on the same page on a topic, this is what we're going to do. Here are the reasons we're going to do it. You may disagree. I may disagree. Let's agree. Let's, let's talk it out. Okay. Now let's move forward. Bionics sounds like a weird sort of watchword cultural pillar, but it's the idea that you shouldn't just throw humans at problems. You should turn the human things, the things that are good, and and sort of automate with human touch at scale so everybody can benefit that and people aren't just toiling on things that are repetitive cycles. And then last but certainly not least is the concept of trust. I would tell you, if there's any cultural things that have been tested through the hypergrowth, through the post-COVID, it's trust because trust is easy to establish when you can be in someone else's presence. And so, we really have
0: to reiterate: Hey, trust, 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 and verify, but trust as you move through things. Just on that cultural point, and um, going back, to, you know, picking up on what you said about your your, your dad was at HP for thirty years, going back. Some 30 years in, in my career. Um, when I was at uni, I, I did a, a placement year at, at Hewlett-Packard in the UK. And I just remember I mean it was a brilliant place to have a year in industry, but I just remember it being drummed into us about the HP way yeah. constantly. And I, was, I was just wandering around ex- Exactly. All, all the open door and all that yeah. and th- I was just wondering whether or not did you take any influence from your dad or, or also was there any, are there any other companies that you've studied as well? In terms of building your own culture, or has it just developed over time naturally?
1: So two different things. One, let's stick with HP for a second, and the answer is yes. I mean, one of the neat things about HP was there were no offices. I I say in my own office, but that's for podcast reasons. You know, it, my father actually ascended to be a fairly senior manager in HP. He had a cube. It was a little bit of a bigger cube, but it was a cube, and I thought that that was so. It just good that there wasn't this this hierarchy. We're all in this together. I I really want that to be true, a full story. And I hope everybody feels that way. The other aspect was if someone was good at Hewlett Packard and they left the company because they wanted to go, I don't know, maybe they'd been doing it for a long time and they wanted to go try something else. And if they were good, Hewlett Packard would welcome them back. And I can remember people in my father's circle who would go take a job for a few more years and then they would be back and then they'd go take another job and they'd be back. And I'd be like, isn't it weird that they're leaving you dad? And his response, be, they're good. And if they're good, they can always come back. And so there are certain people, I hate to admit it that sometimes will depart from full story. And if they're great, I, I tell them that story about Hewlett Packard. And I want this to be the kind of place where they feel like they can return because everybody needs to go on their own journey at some point, other companies in their cultures it's funny you ask. I I was curious about this. I've been thinking about culture a lot lately, kind of in the post-COVID new economy that we're living in. And so I went to um, ChatGPT the other day, and I started asking ChatGPT, what is the culture of Amazon? And what is the culture of Goldman Sachs? And what is the culture of McKinsey and Company? And, And it is interesting how they articulate the differences that I would have held in my head about those companies. I think when I research other companies' cultures, it is less about the things I like and more about the things that I'm interested in, but they feel too strong, right? I mean, full story wants to win. We want to win. I like winning. But you don't need to be a jerk about it, right? You need to work as a teammate to win. You've got to do it together. And there are other cultures that don't do that. And so maybe it's the anti-patterns I'm looking for, if if that makes sense, Russell.
2: And just coming back to to communications for, for a minute, Scott, for lots of tech companies, it can be really hard to kind of differentiate yourself and stand out. What has been at the heart of your strategy to differentiate full story from competitors?
1: The essence of it is going to be rooted in the technology and the product. And that has served us well to date. It is my hope and desire that it will continue to serve us well going forward over time. In the earliest days of Full Story, we just gave you the product. Like we were true product led growth. Try it. If you like it, great. Tell your friends. And that was great. As you get into bigger and bigger opportunities in the enterprise, that model does not work. You have to understand where their problems are, but I always want us trying to say, here are your problems, but here's how our technology meets your problems in a better and different way. And so I think I said earlier, this idea of a novel approach to, to um, solving problems of digital experience. Full story invented something. We have a bunch of patents on it, but by the way, we brought most of that Google engineering office or much of that Google engineering office over when we were starting it, and we threw some big brains. It's solving a problem of how do you ingest data. Just go with me for a second here. In the past, if you wanted to understand who clicked on a button on your site, right? who clicked add to cart on your site, you had to know that that was an important click, and then You had to go get a data engineer to take the time to write some code around that button click so you had the the pleasure of waiting a couple of weeks for that data to populate only to realize that it was the button below it that you also needed, but you forgot to instrument. And that event instrumentation paradigm is dumb. It's just, it's wrong and flawed. And the world still lives with it for the most part. There's benefit to it. We ingest that information. It's fine and it's structured. But we want it to be simple. And so full story was, in my bias CEO retelling of things, the first auto-capture, auto-structure, auto-index company. We capture everything in a privacy-friendly way, and then we structure all of those data bits and index them. So if you want to know who clicked this button and that button on Thursday from Georgia, why they had something in their cart. Ask the question, retroactive analytics will tell you how many people did it. That is very powerful, but it's a nuanced story. So, when we're in those more complex sales cycles, conveying the pane of glass that you see when you see a dashboard between company, you know, competitor A and competitor B, it's everything underneath. You know, Yahoo and Google looked the same for a long time. Google was better. Why? Because it had way more data indexed.
2: And we're recording this interview, Scott, at a time when there's, there's plenty of uncertainty in the economy worldwide. How do you adjust your communications approach in order to maintain confidence in the company?
1: I think the most important thing for a leader is to be genuine. And so I don't know that adjust is the right word and that I hope I have always been genuine, Scott in every talk that I've ever given to the company. And that builds trust, one of our, one of our watchwords. And so when things are tough, through clarity, explaining to, to everybody that things are tough, You know, I had to give a talk, a company kickoff talk, in the wake of some headcount reductions, which are super painful. It was the right thing for the business. I think the easy move for a CEO would be like, hey, everything's great look over here. We know we did this. Everything's fine. To the moon, to the future. That's not how I started that meeting. I let it sit and we tried to be somber and understand that we got our work cut out for us. We're in a good position. I feel great about our future, but let's just acknowledge the reality of what's going on in the spirit of empathy. One of the phrases that you hear at Full Story a lot is, uh, honor your inner skeptic. And I say that a lot. People roll their eyes when I say it but why? There are too many documentaries on Netflix right now or docudramas about CEOs that were really charismatic and waved their hands and burned a bunch of money and ran a company right into a cliff. Nobody should buy my bullshit. You should honor your skeptic and you should you should test if what I'm saying is true, because that will build trust
2: and we'll be aligned and we can move forward. We were talking a little bit there, I guess, about kind of, internal communications at full story can you share any more detail about any other kind of approaches or internal communications that you utilize to to engage and speak with the rest of the team and and on how why they work really well
1: the joke most of my slides are says scott rambles that's the the titles of my talk are always scott rambles you know on insert topic end of quarter last board meeting culture at the company and um, the thinking there is you're getting not the corp speak of you're just like you're getting in this podcast, kind of a rando stream of consciousness associated. With. And so I, I'm not a slide heavy presenter. I'll have an image and it's usually just an emoji trying to convey the point I'm trying to make. And then I'll just talk about that image for a little bit. I think it it is both genuine and I think it comes across as genuine, and I think genuine builds
0: trust. Scott, are there, are there any kind of initiatives that the company has has put in place for internal comms?
1: Yeah, I, would, I think of them almost as rituals in order to make sure that we're communicating effectively, reinforcing the messages, and aligned around what we need to be doing. So we, we have a pretty structured cadence. Each week, we have a meeting. We call it Hug It Out hug it out has a you know a very consistent agenda associated with it where we're going to talk about a customer story and we're going to talk about numbers and we're going to do a demo and i think everybody appreciates the ritualistic aspect of that i would say we we also we run uh, objectives and key results at full story and so at the end of every quarter we're going to talk about how we did on the quarter And then we're going to do something we call listening and alignment week, where we sort of push back from the day-to-day for a little bit in order to dig deeper into into topics, whether that's topics on culture or strategy or what have you. That listening and alignment week, each quarter gives us the space to do that. Again, there's just sort of consistent. We're going to to have a numbers meeting where we talk about the numbers of the business. We are going to share a post-board meeting discussion with everybody. So they understand exactly what's going on from the boardroom all the way down.
0: What about your role as an as an external spokesperson? Is is that something you enjoy? Yes and no. It's it's funny.
1: I um dread the preparation. And about 10 minutes before I go on stage or do a podcast, I'm like, oh, I gotta do a podcast. And I know I'm gonna say something stupid. And then I get on. And I I really do enjoy chatting with people and I get excited about what we're doing and And I start leaning into the camera and by the end of it, I bump my nose on it. But I don't know. I take a certain energy out of out of doing that.
2: And apart from bumping your nose on the camera multiple times, what would you say has been your biggest communications challenge that you faced along your journey? And how did you overcome it?
1: There are a couple that come to mind. I mean, obviously I talked earlier about the written word was something I I struggled with. And you know, through pras- practice and perseverance, I got there. I would tell you that transitioning from small company communications, where it's so much easier to read the room and know everyone in the room and understand that everything I am communicating is probably going to land. And if it doesn't land quite right, I can go fix it after I can go talk to you and you and you. And when you get on call with uh, 500 people, it turns out almost certainly every time I say something, someone's going to be confused or not sure or not interpret something the way that I hoped that they would interpret. And that's just a law of large numbers. So the tension there is, do you get more scripted and really button up the words you say so you don't offend anybody or you don't upset or you don't confuse people. I think no. I think you just kind of roll with the punches. But it, you know, every once in a while you have to ask yourself, maybe it's time to start buttoning things up a little bit. If we ever get to be a public company and I've got to handle the public company calls, I can see Adelita RCFO
0: already thinking, oh my goodness, I don't know what we're going to do Scott, we've we've got one Final question for you that we've asked all our our unicorn leaders uh, to date in this series. And that is, if you can go back in time and speak to your old self, what guidance would you give yourself about communications? Stay less. There we go. Good way to finish. Scott Voigt, thank you so much for um, taking the time to join us online today. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Holly, another um, really excellent chat. Thoughts on what Scott had to say?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I guess two really nice things that I took from from that. One, quite often when we ask unicorn leaders about, you know, individuals that have inspired them, you know, we, we get lots of the the usual people from from the tech sector. I just love how much he dedicated in our chat to his mum and dad. I thought yeah. it was really refreshing to, to see how much of an impact they've had on on him today. Just for something a little bit different And then the other thing I loved that, hit, that Scott said is You can be proud to want to win And hungry to win all the time But you don't have to be a jerk So often, you know There's a lot associated with people That want to to win and, and are hungry for it And it's nice to know that there is Kind of like that empathetic As he says, way that, that you can go about doing it
0: Yeah, very good thank you as always Holly that is actually it for this episode in the special series that we're doing with Taito if you want to find out more about Full Story then their website is simply fullstory.com we'd love to hear your thoughts and comments on today's chat you can do that by sharing them on our Facebook LinkedIn Instagram or Twitter feeds or you can do it in the comments of the YouTube version of this podcast Uh, those are all linked from the top of our website at csweeppodcast.com, where you'll also find all our previous shows and supporting show notes plus links to where you can follow us for automatic downloads of each episode via the likes of Spotify and Apple. And if you have liked what you've heard, please do give us a positive rating and review. We're, of course, available on all podcast apps. Just search for the C-Suite Podcast and hit follow or subscribe. And don't forget, you can also subscribe to the Without Borders podcast from our partners at Taito. All the details for that are on their website. Just head to taitopr.com and click on the podcast link in the top nav bar. Plus, you can also download a copy of Growing Without Borders, the Unicorn CEO Guide to Communication and Culture. That's available on Taito's website as well. It's an overview of the first 15 of our unicorn interviews. And if you are a unicorn leader yourself and you'd like to be part of the series, please do get in touch via the contact form on the website at csuitepodcast.com plus of course anyone can get in touch with any feedback you may have and finally you can also reach me via twitter using at Ross goldsmith or you can find me and the c-suite podcast on linkedin but for now thanks for listening and goodbye